And that's what I decided. I'm going to murder my mother. But I didn't feel that I had to uh, face what I had done ever. He killed 33 times. I'm the king, man. I decide who's does what and where they do it at. So next time you see me, <laughs> I will kill you. Tom Hanks was good in Castaway, though. I, that's like one of my favorite movies, to uh, tell you the truth. You know, for being four hours of a guy on an island by himself, it was a very interesting movie. It was a great movie. It was a great movie. I it bet was it was really cheap to make it also. No, well, I bet travel expenses was probably. Right, but you pay that like once, you know. Well, no, I guess you probably got to pay it a lot. You don't record an entire, you don't film an entire movie in a day. You don't? I don't think so. You I know what other movie was, was probably really cheap? Remember that movie Phone Booth? I never saw that. It looked stupid as fuck. But as far as timelines and making movies, they had to have stretched that uh, for Castaway because in the beginning of his hair and stuff. Yeah. Well, when he's not just his hair, but when he was working for FedEx, I mean, he was he he was heavy. I mean, he wasn't heavy set, but he he was filled in. You know, he's filled out. Right. He had to lose a lot of weight. And then yeah, when he's you know by the time he's done hanging out on the island, he was. I don't think he was hanging out. I think he was more stranded than hanging out. Well, you know, same thing. You know, if you're stranded, you gotta hang out. You have out no choice but to hang out. <laughs> right. That's the only you're thing you do. forced to hang out. Yeah. That's true, that's true. That is like, I, I don't know why I love that movie so much, but it's like one of my all-time favorite movies. It's a great movie. I mean... But I don't own it, which is weird. No, I don't I have two it. copies of Taken. I don't know why I have two copies of it, but that's a good movie too. I had Forrest Gump on VHS, but I have no idea where it is now. That's a good movie too. Tom Hanks is, is a pretty good actor. Well, Forrest no? Gump was one of the best movies ever made. Right. Tom Hanks was in that movie. Well, Forrest Gump. I'm not saying he's the best actor ever, but I'm I saying be- like Castaway, was... Forrest Gump. That's a pretty good resume. Right. Both great uh, documentaries on great men. <laughs> They are kind of like documentaries. Forrest Gump is more of a documentary than Castaway. You know what else is good that's kind of about a mentally challenged? Which one? What's Eating Gilbert Grape? That oh. movie's incredible. It is, but it's almost like... I, I feel... It's almost like Leonardo DiCaprio did too good of a job and you felt like he was actually mentally challenged because that well. did actually happen. That did actually happen. They thought he was really... As a child actor, they thought he was actually mentally challenged because he did such a good job in that movie. Really? I'd never read that. Yes, I did read that on the internet, so you know it's true. Yeah, that the uh, the heavier woman that plays the mom, yeah. she's from my hometown. Uh, really? Yeah, old town in Texas. But... Well, she's dead now because she died in the movie, so she died in, in real, real life. life. Yeah, yeah. That's well, how it goes. She, she did. I think she passed away in the last recent. Oh fuck! Well, now I feel bad. <laughs> Well, I mean... That's fucked up. Well, it has nothing to do with you, but... Uh, but speaking of people dying, we can talk about Ariel Castro's death, because that's a good death. Yeah, he is dead. He is dead as any dead person that's ever been dead. By the end of this episode, uh, anyone... He will be dead in the ground. Listening going to know, yeah. Or at least hanging from a towel. Or was it a bed sheet? I feel like it was... I think it was a bed sheet, if I, I remember I think it was a right. bed sheet. Either way, I'm glad he's dead, and I would... I, I'm glad he's dead. Because he's a fucking horrible monster. Fuck that guy. So last episode we left off. Oh shit! I need to do the. I need to do the intro. No one knows what show they're listening to right now. Who are you, man? You guys are listening to the Mason Jar Chronicles. If you didn't know already, you blindly clicked on a link. Um, I'm Corey, and I'm joined by Johnny. Now you know who we are. Um, so now we can start the episode because I'm sure you guys were very lost. 
Uh, so last episode, I think no, they were lost. To right now, I've heard part. Well, part two is just now going up. So by the time they they uh, they hear this, uh, it'll be about a week. They should be caught up. You should be caught up. If you're not yeah. caught up, you should go back and listen to the other one. Why are you listening to part three when there's part two? You should listen to part two, then part three. That's how numbers work. Yeah, look at the numbers, man. Yeah, I have it. Episode eight. Part one, episode nine, part two. This will be episode ten, part Thank three. You, you just guys, you. you just gotta look at the numbers. <laughs> so where but did anyway, we last time? Last time we left off with um, the kidnapping of Amanda Berry. So Michelle Knight was already in the house, and now he has another girl in the house um, by the name of Amanda Berry. And this is the girl that got all the fucking press coverage. She got all the immediate attention, all the just attention. Period. But I chalk it up to her mom because her mom was literally putting posters up the night she disappeared. As any good mother would do. Right. If my child went missing, I would burn the world to the ground to find him. Of course, it's hard to do the first night. I mean, that could just be... No, 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 no. I have a lot of kerosene. I would just burn the world down until I found him. Day one, though? Mm-hmm. For sure. Definitely. I mean, she could just be, you know, out of gas or, like, at a friend's house. And, I mean, there well, weren't My son is phones. two months old, so I don't think were he's driving anywhere. Yeah, there were cell phones. Yeah, she had a cell phone. This is... Yeah, of course there were cell phones. They weren't good, but there were cell phones. She had, she had just gotten rid of her beeper. Is that what? I'm yeah, I think so. My parents gave me a beeper. Very old. She just, she just got rid of her beeper and her skip it, and now she is working at Burger King. Dude, you don't get rid of your skip it. No, you do. Skip it's dope. You don't get rid of your bop it, but you get rid of your skip it. Uh, you bop it. That's crazy how bop it came back, and now it's fun again. Yeah, it's I like Simon, man. I was playing. Is there an games. app for Bop It? That would be cool if there's an app. Ooh, a Simon Says app. That's probably a thing already. There's gotta be. There's an app for everything. Yeah, right. There is an app for everything. We're back onto apps again. Um, so <clears throat> Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry are both in the house at this point. Michelle, um, has been completely naked the entire time she's been there. She is not taking a shower. She's been violated and beaten and forced to miscarriages and everything this whole time she's been there. And when Amanda gets there and she goes in, she sees Amanda, or I mean, she sees Michelle in the room and Michelle later on after everything happened, obviously says that she was embarrassed for Amanda to see her room as messy as it was and to see her as dirty as she was. Because I mean, any natural person doesn't want to be seen dirty, but I mean, it's not her fault. You know what I mean? Because the whole time, Amanda's fully clothed. She's not being mistreated like Michelle was. As I mean, she's being mistreated, but not as bad as Michelle was. Michelle's naked. Amanda's fully clothed, like, the whole time. Her floor was covered with rotten food and just, like, stank of urine. There's flies everywhere. But as soon as Amanda saw Michelle, like, saw her face, after Michelle, after Amanda has been has realized that she is confined into this home, the first time she sees her, she smiles at her. Because she's like, oh shit, I'm not by myself. Like, right. there's another person to endure this awful time with me. Well, I believe it's a little bit of hope was restored as well. Absolutely, yeah. She's, I mean, as bad as it sounds, like if I was locked in a house, I'd be glad that someone else was locked in there with me. Right, right. Now it's good to know that you're not the only one. No man is an island, so I'd be happy that there's a person there with me. I don't know, man. I beg to differ. I'm a pretty good fucking island. I don't know, man. You talk to me pretty consistently, so yeah. that's not really being an island. I do that for you. Once a week, at least. <laughs> <laughs> we catch up once a week. It's not bad. I, I think that's enough. I mean, 
everything else so, on social media. What else are we gonna right, talk about? I don't really need I don't really need to talk to you. I have I'm caught up with everything that's going on. You were in a hammock the other day. If you didn't see the post on Twitter, you should go look at it because Johnny and I are thousands of miles away from each other, at least hundreds. And we were literally sitting. We were literally sitting in the exact same position, wearing an identical set of shorts with our dogs right next to us. It's a. I thought it was hilarious when I I saw it. I got a pretty good kick out of it. Because I was like, "Oh my god, this is it's weird," and it's why we're good friends, best friends, maybe. It is serendipitous. Uh, so at this point, Ariel Castro has two girls confined in his home. And if you remember from the first episode, we talked about Lillian, which was his uh, girlfriend. And he still has her coming over when he has these two girls in his home. Like, that's I don't understand how someone can well I... act that way. Well, I mean, I can understand how he can. Yeah, no, I think but he, I couldn't he, do that. He normalized his behavior to where it just... Probably didn't seem that fucking weird to him. Yeah, he felt like it was normal, I guess. But we were family. <laughs> a very dysfunctional family. Well, shit, Charles Manson thought his family was a family. That's true, and they murdered people, so they weren't. I mean, they would, that doesn't mean you're not a family. Well, no, but, but it's very loosely applied. Yeah, it's a loose it's, term. I, that's like to me, it sounds like juggalos. Because they, they consider themselves a family. It's like, well... And anybody that's listened to this that might be a juggalo, I mean, I'm sorry. Turn it off. Fuck. We don't want you here. Yes. Turn it off. I don't want you here. Yeah. I'm just kidding. You're welcome here. Just don't talk to me. I like Fago just as much as the next juggalo. But I'm not going to paint my face and do a bunch of meth. Because why would I want to do that? No, I mean, Insane Clown Posse is the craziest thing ever. It's insane. <laughs> Some people like that. I mean, if you're into that, then I mean, sure, I guess, just... You know, it wouldn't surprise me that some of the people listening to this would listen to that because of the violence. I could see that, but I mean, you could just listen to, like, really aggressive rap, and there's plenty of violence in that, and it's not complete shit, like... Well, yeah, you know, ICP is pretty aggressive. Yeah, but they're more like throwing axes and, like, chickens or something about chickens. Well, I don't know anything about chickens. Well, I know a lot about chickens, but I know they sing about well, chickens Well, I know a few also. things about chickens. I just don't know the re- relation between chickens and insane. No, it's like, okay. No, it's like, there's an insane, there's an ICP song about chickens, where they're like going chicken hunting or something. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, chicken hunting. That's what it's called. It huh. doesn't even have the G on the end. Should we play it? No, absolutely not. Are you sure? Okay. Well, we don't have the rights to that shit song, and I don't want to hear it. Right, because so many executive producers are listening to this. It doesn't matter. Executive producers. I don't know why I said executive producers. I'm tired, man. I would work all day. I got a baby. But anyway, let's get back to back to this. So Lillian's over at the house. She hears the TV upstairs. <laughs> Wait, were you almost about to go on a rant on how tired you are because you have a baby? I, I was, but I'm not going to. I mean, I'm glad you cut it off, but fuck, dude. No, that's cliche. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, with the rant or with the thing? Fuck no, not with the rant. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. So, one night Lillian's over, she hears the TV upstairs in Amanda's room and she asks who's watching it. And then Astro just, or Astro, <laughs> Ariel Castro just made you up some crazy excuse. I think I probably two. did. Yeah. I do love my Astro. He's my best friend. Anyways, watch the TV. So, and then he just makes up some crazy excuse and changes the subject. And then he stopped having her come over, which is 
a huge red flag if you're like, hey, what's going on upstairs? We shouldn't see each other anymore. Right. You're asking too many questions. You That's a go. problem. <laughs> yeah, you gotta go. Um, so I don't think we covered it at all, but um, you have any covered yet? Yeah, I'm going to get to that right now, but I'm going to give a little bit of background. So Ariel Castro's ex-wife, Gramilda, had remarried this guy, Fernando Colon, um, and Ariel Castro was not okay with that for some crazy reason because he has already moved on and is literally kidnapping people. Um, But he tries to run this dude over with his car. He basically tries to murder this guy because... He is basically jealous. And it's crazy because remember before he was – we were saying that he was like basically like kind of stalking his ex-wife and would like have her over and then like basically rape her and right. things like that. And then he's also trying to murder her new husband. So this dude's just all around crazy. He's just a full circle of a lunatic pretty much. Right, right. Um, and so Ariel Castro has two girls in the house, and he's not going to stop there. There's going to be a third girl, which is who we're going to cover this episode. And her name is Gina De Jesus. Now, there is – there's some people who try to say that Ariel Castro was a pedophile because this girl was so young. I believe she was 14. She was 14, yes. She was born in 1990. Yeah, 1990. 2001? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, so. She, yeah, she was. No, it's 2003. She's 2003. still well under 20, man. Yeah, she's well under the age of consent in most states. Um, so, Georgina de Jesus was born April 1st, 1990, to Felix de Jesus and Nancy Ruiz. And like Ariel Castro, Felix de Jesus was from a very prominent and well known Puerto Rican family. And in high school, Felix and Ariel Castro were friends. They went to school together, and they were friends. And now he has kidnapped this man's daughter. It's fucking insane, man. I don't think they're friends anymore. No, I would highly doubt that they aren't. But, I mean, if I was... If I was this guy, I mean, I would... I'd be so pissed that I didn't get to fucking kill him. Yeah, I would be mad that I wasn't my hands around his throat instead of the bedsheet. But to be betrayed like that, that's pretty... It's pretty hardcore, man. That's like complete lack of empathy and just yeah, zero fucks given. And that's what that's what the lack of empathy means, guys. If you weren't didn't know what empathy meant, it means you don't give a fuck. No, no, zero. Um, so well, it's just hard to put put yourself in someone else's shoes. I mean, let's say that I I wouldn't. Let's say that I might be uh, willing to drive a pair of scissors into your gut because there's no way I would take the time to understand your circumstance or your situation. Uh, or right, your I'd rather just get my revenge. Yeah, or I'm not even thinking about how it would feel for you to do the same thing to me. I mean, it doesn't even have to be so drastic as far as like driving scissors into your fucking stomach, but it, you know, it's I could be just the shittiest friend because I just do not empathize with you. Right. I mean, you really need to put yourself in someone else's shoes sometimes and see how they are looking at something. But if you're like Ariel Castro, you don't have that ability. You lack that empathy. Right, right. 
And if you do lack empathy, I think you should talk to someone about that. Because you're going to murder somebody. So, uh, back to Jean being four, but she was 14. She was in seventh grade and she was taking special classes. She was, she was classified as a special education student. Yes. That's, that's insane to me. Uh, it blows her mind what people are capable of. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's one thing to take advantage of a person. It's another thing to take advantage of a person who is, let's say, on the spectrum or in special education classes. That's a whole new level of monstrosity. Well, you're talking about someone that is very, very unlikely to uh, be able to defend themselves, stand up for themselves... Or even understand, so, maybe understand what's understand going what on. Yeah, right. They start, aren't getting what you are doing to them. So you can Which is what a person a game or some bullshit excuse to give them so they think that it's okay and it's not as Which is something that a person like Ariel Castro would look for and he would latch on to. Well, yeah, he's a frumpy fucking dude, dude. Like, he just... I mean, two of the three girls he has in his home are below a learning level of their age. Right. Amanda Berry is the only one who isn't. No, I mean, no, he preyed on girls that were... Uh, vulnerable. Completely. Like, well-roundedly vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. So, at 2.30 p.m. on April 2nd, 2003, Gina and Arlene, which is Ariel Castro's daughter, who is friends with... is friends with her, is friends with Gina... And I'm not I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's it's, insane, it's insane how close all of this is to them. So they planned to go to Gina's house to play, but needed to check with Arlene's mother, Nilda, beforehand. And Nilda told Arlene no on account of her being grounded. Um, so she's trying to get by with her not being grounded. I guess what a little. Were you ever grounded? Oh yeah, plenty of times. Did, I mean, did you didn't did get grounded? Dude, I was grounded every fucking week, dude. Who does yeah, shit? Whether, whether it was because I didn't come home on time or... Of course I, I was usually my grades. Mine's yeah. my grades. Typically, it was... Yeah, I was a terrible student because I didn't give a shit. And, but... But it was weird because when I was grounded, I did great in school. But when I was not grounded, I did terrible in school. So, it's a, you know, you just can't really get any information or come to any kind of justification See, that. that was my that, thing. So. No, the grounding never helped. It wasn't until I started uh, a heavy dose of Ritalin. That I was able to concentrate school and actually <laughs> sit still long enough. So drugs. So drugs. I was, I was a serious Ridley kid. Uh, nice. But nice. the grounding thing never... I mean, it started out as a joke, and then it got to where they would take shit from me, and then they'd, like, remove everything from my room. I think... God. One, one time I lost my door. What the fuck? That <laughs> was really extreme. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. It's, uh, like I they just took it off the hinges? Yeah, yeah. You just fucking... You gotta be real mad to do that, like, cause that do, that's not like a. I mean, it doesn't take a long time, but that's not like something that you can just like, you know, go in there, grab your laptop, take it away. This is like, I need tools. I gotta unbolt the shit. I gotta pull the door down. I gotta keep up with all the screws. Like, it's a lot of work. Like, you have to be real mad to do something like well, that. Well, that's. The thing. I mean, I. I don't think I was a terrible kid, but I feel like my parents were pissed off at me a lot. So they could have been angry enough to sit with a screwdriver and just remove <laughs> each screw from the fucking. <laughs> and I just picture you sitting on your bed, just pissed as shit about it. Yeah, um, well, there were a couple, it was it was either it was a cross between 
sitting on my bed, pissed because they're actually doing it, and sitting on my bed and just laughing at them the whole time they're doing it. Because you know, you take a door off the hinges, you're gonna break a little sweat, you're gonna breathe a little heavier. You're, just you're gonna even, have to carry the door. You're, you're gonna have to store the door somewhere. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> you're just you're just a steaming pile of angry right now because you decided to take yeah, my no, door you, from me. You totally weren't a bad kid. It sounds like you were great. Well, I uh, <laughs> I rebelled against like you know the the not so serious rules. You know, I didn't grow up stealing or vandalizing or tearing up other people's property or anything. It was just. Right, well, I never did stuff like that either. I mean, firecrackers, shit like that, stink bombs in school. I was just a nuisance kid. It's just, it wasn't. I didn't. I didn't but you weren't like hurting people. No, I don't think I put anybody's lives in danger. Well, that's always a good thing. Who knows? I mean, I'm sure I put mine in, in a lot of harm's way uh, frequently. Yeah, but, but who's but who's worried about that? Well, to be honest, even as an adult, I'm still that way. I just make sure if I'm going... Well, now I worry about it, though. Well, you're a father Because I know you. But are you worried about me? Yeah, of course. No, man. I want you to be safe, dude. I want you to be safe. Put your seatbelt on. Seatbelt's a habit that I've had for many, many years. It's... Oh, good. Wear shoes on the house in case you stub your toe. No, for me, it's like, you know, cycling, you know, track through traffic with no helmet. Yeah, that is pretty dangerous. Stuff like that. I mean, it's... I'm not... Of course, I've never been skydiving. I'm not doing anything too extreme, but... You're not playing Russian roulette in the basement of a bar or anything, right? No, no. I don't even... I'm not even a heavy drinker. I don't go to bars. Like, I'm not a... That's good. That's good. It's my early 20s. We're different, but... Right. (laughs) But way off topic. Back to fucking... Very... Back to this terrible stuff. Um... So, after the phone call, obviously, they weren't hanging out. The girls parted their ways and began walking home. And soon after, first, Ariel Castro arrived at Gina and Arlene's school um, to pick up Arlene. And when he couldn't find her, he started driving around. And this is when he spotted Gina on her route home. Now, later on, he says he did not know she was that age. But you were around a middle school. She probably had a backpack on, coming from the middle school, and she looks like a 14-year-old kid. Dude, I work at Those are all things that, yeah, every, I mean... Every girl in that school looks like a middle school student. Right. Like, there are girls That's, and boys that look more mature for their age, but you've got, but, you've got to be a certain kind of fucked up to, to see through that or try to uh, turn to it even into something else. Think it's that like, it's, to even think a that it's a chance, like a you know? 14-year-old, yeah. Right, and so later on, he would say that he had quote sex on his mind when he saw Gina that way that day, and, and he said if he they was don't also look 14, they definitely sound fourteen as soon as they open their fucking mouth. Yeah, because they're all gonna be tr- they're all gonna be dumb. Every fourteen year old kid is dumb. Yeah, and, and like, they're just they're yeah their voices are gonna sound not like an eighteen year old person. No, no, it's well, I mean. Hormones hit middle school at that certain point. Like, you, there's just very obvious distinctions between a 14 year old and an adult woman. There's just no, exactly. It's just hard for there's, me to try to understand how someone is going to say, "Well, I don't know." If you kind of close one eye, and you know, it's like, "Now, nah, bro." Well, not only that, if you're unsure, then don't do it. Like, 
if I back to Russian roulette, if I see a gun and I'm like, hmm, it might be loaded well, or it might not. Let me pull the trigger on my head and see if it goes right, off. We're like about that's Castro. He, the things he's he's not a rational guy. It doesn't matter who she is, how old she is, what she looks like. Where it doesn't. Those are. But he says he says he's a tr- he was attracted to her because of her cleavage. This is a 14 year old girl he's talking about. This dude should have been put in a fucking cell and not fed until he died. He should have just starved well, to death. tried that. And then he killed well, himself like a fucking weenie. A weenie. Yeah. Go but weenie. he deserved to die, so it's fine. Um, so he pulls up next to Gina. He asks if she would help him look for his daughter since they were friends. Naturally, she's like, okay, sure, whatever, dude. And then she gets inside the car and then asks if he would help her move a speaker at his house. Now, this is a 14-year-old girl who was not very big. Um, If I was a 14-year-old girl and I wasn't very big, I'd be like, why the fuck do you want me to help you? Look at my size. You can probably handle it. I'm going to be zero help. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the uh, size is relevant. I I can't recall asking a 14-year-old to help me. Something. I, I move. Well, I mean, I, I move like every twelve fucking months. I've never asked a minor in any circumstance, "Hey, would you like to come over and help me move some stuff around?" Well, her age beside the point. Like she's. That's not a good reason to be like, "Hey, can you come help me move this thing?" How big is this fucking speaker, man? Well, like it's. He it doesn't make me as one of those guys that has like the big, you know, the big blocky speakers that they had in like the nineties. I guess. Maybe it's an amp. He does play bass. Oh, that's true. He's in a band. Yeah. He's well, let's not try to rationalize this guy. guy. Let's not rationalize this fucking dude. So, once they arrived at the house, he took Gina in through the back door and upstairs, which is uh, the second worst place to be in Ariel Castro's house, basement being uh, number one. Right, right. So, he took her into the bathroom and asked to see her... Private parts. He asked, though. That was generous. It was kind of fucking odd. That was... Out of character, but he asked. Well, he soon just decided to do it anyway. So um, yeah, why am I asking? Uh, so, Gina got uncomfortable and asked to leave. Ariel Castro told her yes, but that she would have to leave through a different door than the one they came in. He led her to the basement door and was like, all right, here's your way out. And she opened the door, and it's not. It's the basement. So, he takes her down there. Chained her up to the pole and raped her, just like the other girls. And after finishing, he re- he placed the motorcycle helmet on her head again. Not again, but he did that same thing again. Um, and again, I don't mean to, like, speed through that, but, like, it just happens so much that if I was to say it the same way every time, you'd be like, dude, we get it. It's tough. It's so, hard. Yeah, it's a hard topic. It is, and it kind of just has <laughs> to blaze, blaze through it. Especially, um, you know, yeah, in, in our society right now. Yes. A lot of sexual this. misconduct is going on, so it's like, as a dude... Yeah, what the fuck is up with that, you guys? Yeah. Stop doing that. I feel like... I, I used to think that it was just a few weirdos out there, but I feel it's like... everybody, dude. Now, there's all, now I feel like there's only a few of us that aren't sexually harassing women. And now we're the weirdos. Which I'm fine with, but... Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I feel like as a man... Uh, I, I have to be extra careful. Like, yeah, definitely. not that I'm like easily just going around offending people, but you know, as a sailor, uh, as just a, just a dumbass that says fuck a lot, <laughs> you know, I just, I, you can, it's pretty easy to do it. I have to be more conscious and more aware of my behavior. Uh, 
And there's nothing wrong with that. No, it just makes me, I think it makes me a better human being. I mean, I'm thinking about how I should act around others, how I should function in my environment. I'm, I'm developing further social skills as a, as a 30-something-year-old <laughs> dude, you know? like Yeah. Uh, you never stop growing. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't at all see it as a negative thing. I'm just saying that it is it is something that I'm constantly thinking about uh, whether there's men or women in the room. Just because I right. I found that women aren't the like men are pretty sensitive these days. So I can just as easily hurt a guy's feeling uh, feelings as, as as much as I could you know any lady that walked in the room. And there's nothing wrong with being sensitive out there, boys. Well, you can be as sensitive as you want. Just be yourself. There's nothing wrong with having emotion, but fucking regulate that shit, man. And ha- like, not everything has to go has to be aligned with your values. If you're offended, be fucking offended. Like, it, nothing's gonna happen. It's just, right. I don't think you need to like beat anybody up or anything no, like dude. that. Like, it's okay if something is, like, it, like people that see these comedy shows, and they're like, oh, I don't think, well, I don't like that one thing he said. It's like, what about all that other shit? It's like, well, that was different. That wasn't about me. That didn't affect me first. It's like, yeah, but that shit's funny, and the shit that affects you is, like, if it's funny, it's... It might it's be funny, funny to some people. Right. I mean, shut up. Like, just shut up. Plus, comedians aren't out. the most coddling people. Well, no. I mean, we constantly talk on this. I mean, I've seen interviews of, like, Bill Burr and all them just discussing how tough it is to do stand-up and and not have someone uh, confront the stage with some bullshit like, what you said was outrageous and offensive and yada, yada, yada. I I mean, we're pretty much constantly making jokes about terrible situations on this very show. Right, but I don't feel like I'm slandering you. I mean, like... We don't make fun of the victims. We make fun of the perpetrators These because girls they suck. Through a lot. Uh, absolutely. Right. More than I could ever imagine right. going through. Uh, but it's it's just they are not the butt gnarly. of our jokes. It's gnarly. It's not funny. It's just fucking crazy. Yeah. So anyway, I laugh at everything. So fuck it. So at five oh nine p.m., Gina's mother reported her missing. Uh, naturally. And so after taking Gina, Ariel Castro became increasingly paranoid that he'd be caught by police. Um, But he wouldn't be caught for a a very, very long time. Um, He then sat down and wrote a four-page letter confessing to everything he had done while, again, making himself trying to seem like he's a fucking victim. And luckily enough for you guys, we have a transcript of that very letter so you get to hear it and be... Uncomfortable as we are when we heard it. Yeah, enjoy it. April 4th, 2004. To the best of my knowledge, I was born in Puerto Rico. I was abandoned by my father and later my mother. My grandma raised me. I was abused sexually by the son of Luis and Thelia. His name was Pucho. He penetrated my rear a couple of times when I was five or six years old. I soon learned how to masturbate. I was interested in sex at a very young age. Sex has always been a too big part of my life. I married at age 20. I lived a normal life with my wife and children, but my marriage was a failure from the beginning. My mother was an abusive parent. Her ways of discipline were always were very bad. For this made me grow hatred for her. There were times I wished she would die. Anyway, my marriage was abusive. Also, my wife would hit on me and push me to the limit. I hit her back. 
She put me in jail only to go get me out and apologize to me. This happened a couple of times, but the name-calling and arguments were always there. I tried to reason with her that the kids did not need to see or hear the arguments or fights. I felt bad to see my children frightened and scared. My wife always said that she didn't give a shit if they were indecipherable. The marriage lasted about 12 years. I always loved and still love my children. About six years ago, my wife left for another man. I didn't mind as long as my kids end in a good home. This man did nothing for my children. I kept taking this in, but they were better off with their mother. I can't understand why this man took the trouble to finish raising my kids when he knew I was in a relationship as a father. My ex-wife has many problems with this man and just can't get out of the relationship. I lived alone for the most part of my marriage. I had a good sex drive. I was in a relationship with an indecipherable woman. I cared indecipherable. I met a woman at Family Dollar on Clark. The woman needed a ride somewhere. I, indecipherable, brought her to my home. The show had been there ever since about two years ago. I got another opportunity to get another woman, indecipherable, in my van. This girl is Amanda, indecipherable, on West 110th Street, walking home a short distance. I asked her if she needed a ride, and she said yes. I, indecipherable, brought her to my house. She had been there for about a year. Smoking her pot cigarettes that I provided, indecipherable, these two women accepted money for sex. I treat them well and make sure they eat good. I don't understand why I keep looking for women out in the street as I already have two in my possession. One day I was driving down Lorraine Avenue around 105th. A woman was walking. I asked her if she needed a ride. I calmly drove her to my house. This girl is Georgina. I asked her to come inside. She said yes. These women are here against their will because they made a mistake by getting in the car with a total stranger. I had no idea Gina was so young. She looks a lot older. I also, also not knowing she's the daughter of Felix, a school classmate of mine. The bottom line is I'm a sexual predator who needs help, but I don't bother to get it. I live a private life. I function around others like a normal person. I've been having problems with my head for a long time. I feel depressed, dizzy, and short-term memory loss. I really am decipherable, don't know what's wrong with me. To the parents of these three women, I would like to say I am very sorry. I am sick. Five years ago, I was diagnosed with a cyst in my brain. I don't know if this is what made me behave the way I do. I do not have any feelings for the bad things I have done. I can indecipherable the public. These three women are the only ones I have done harm to, holding them against their will, indecipherable. When I wake up in the morning, I don't feel like I am really here. For some reason, I feel indecipherable. This is a big problem in my everyday life. I want to put an end to my life and let the devil deal with me. I feel so bad about the age of Gina. I will admit I did molest her, but I did not rape her. I feel the closeness of her parents. I do not have the urge to touch her. I feel it's wrong. Anyway, my intentions are to let these women go when I feel I have arranged everything so my family knows what to do after I take my life. I have a dollar bank account with about $10,875.21. $10,000 in cash and have about 11000 in cash. 11000 under the washing machine. That's it. Do not look for any more money. There isn't any more. My family will need to know this. I want the money to go to the three victims, for they deserve every red cent of it. Again, I apologize. Sorry to everyone. This whole ordeal has affected. To my children, please be strong and make the right decisions. Just because you feel that you know someone, do not get into their vehicle. This was the case of Amanda and Gina. Neil, to please do your best to ensure my babies are safe. If possible, move away, far away. As I write this letter on April 4, 2004, 2.05 p.m., my symptoms are clearly bothering me. Dizziness and not really feeling like I'm here, and also depression. I know I am sick mentally. Now, first off, let me say, fuck this dude. Because not only does he blame the girls for getting in the car with him, he starts to make it seem like we should feel sympathy for him. 
like he's also a victim when in reality he is not. Right, Johnny? No, I totally agree. It's well, you're not saying anything, so I was confused. <laughs> no, I, I, because I, I was silent in agreement. Are you taking it in? Agreement, in agreement. Anyway, yeah, no, I, uh, he, uh, it was basically a nice, I'm sorry, but, and then, yeah, continued to, yeah, to claim that they, that everyone's a victim. We're all. Uh, I, I haven't. It, it's like it felt like he was confronting it. But at the same time, like, I don't feel not like he was head really, on. Yeah, I mean, it's not convincing that he was willing to. Obviously, not willing to rehabilitate himself because of the way he went out. But it yeah, just so like fuck that dude and that yeah, stupid letter. So after writing this, he put it in a kitchen drawer, and it stayed there for nine years. So obviously, the guilt wasn't eating him too badly. Right. So know. on November 17th... I wonder how often oh, you open that drawer. Probably not very often. I don't know, man. We all have demons. We all tend to check on them from time to time. Right, but if you have demons, don't manifest them into kidnapping three girls and <laughs> raping them for 11 years, <laughs> My please. My demons are comparison. Are, are comparable <laughs> to... No, no, absolutely not. So, November 17, 2004, uh, Luana Miller, which is Amanda Berry's mom, appeared on the Monta Williams show to meet with a TV psychic, Sylvia Brown. Now... Do you remember this after case? A- no, do you? Yeah! She was well, the one who had, like, the chop... Like, she had the blonde, like, chop bangs and, like, shoulder-length chopped-off hair. And uh, She sounds like a bitch. I think she had long fingernails... Because she was around at the same time, like, remember Cleo, the tarot reader? On, on like, yeah, I remember nighttime her. Nighttime television or whatever the fuck. But yeah, mm-hmm. it was Sylvia Brown's around the same time. And the thing is, is like, Montel, just, he strikes me as an intelligent dude. He's a veteran. He's, you know, I think he's got a lot going for himself, self-worth, self-respect. But he just seems like a good dude. And then he brings Sylvia Brown, the psychic, on his show. And it's like, fuck, bro. <laughs> and we're going to see why we're saying that right now. So after asking a few questions, Sylvia told Luana that she could see Amanda's jacket in a dumpster and that she had gotten into a white car with three people inside. All wrong. Uh, of course. When Luana when <laughs> asked if she would ever find Amanda, Sylvia told her she's not alive, honey, and I'll tell you why. Your daughter is not the type that would that not <laughs> – what the fuck? Your daughter is not the type that would not have checked in with you if she were alive. That's a fucked up sentence. But I'm sorry. They didn't find the jacket because they had DNA on it. Again, all wrong. So after the Montel Williams show appearance, Luana lost all hope that Amanda would ever be found alive. Which is crazy. Like you you let a psychic on Montel tell you and and, and determine how you uh, went about, you know. Exactly. So she went home, she cleaned out Amanda's room, and in December 2005, Luana would be hospitalized for pancreatitis and other serious health issues. And on March 2nd, 2005, Luana died of heart failure. And everyone that knew Luana would say that she, uh, she died from a broken heart because she thought her daughter was dead. And it sucks because Amanda was locked in this house. She never got to see her mom from, you know, that during that time before her mother passed, which is awful. 
Not can't imagine. I can't imagine. So, um, Castro started letting the girls kind of, you know, roam around the house a little bit, or at least the second floor. And Michelle and Gina became very close because they were in the same room and Amanda was separate. So after learning of Luana's death, Michelle went into Amanda's room and told Amanda she was sorry about her mother. And Amanda didn't know what she was talking about. And then, so Amanda, or, um, Michelle had to be the one to tell Amanda that her mother had died, which is, not only is she in a terrible situation, but now she has all of this other added stress. Right. That's... Along with it. It's awful. So, one morning while having breakfast, Amanda started complaining of morning sickness, and it turns out she was pregnant with Ariel Castro's baby. Now, we know what happened with Michelle when she got pregnant. She had five miscarriages. When she got pregnant, she'd starve her for weeks. Uh, she'd beat her in the stomach, kicking her, things like that. But with Amanda, she didn't do that. Whenever he she said that she was pregnant, Ariel Castro smiled and she was happy. And, I mean, he was happy. And then afterwards, he kept her away from the other two girls, like completely shutting her off from them. I guess to keep her from, I don't know, miscarrying the baby or something. But he started treating Michelle, oddly enough, he started treating her worse during this time, if you think it could actually get worse. Um, he'd feed her once a day, he'd let her shower once a week, and she literally became a punching bag. Like, he would just beat the shit out of her constantly. And this, for some reason, brought Gina and Michelle closer, because they were literally chained together in the room they were in. And Michelle would always try to protect Gina from... Castro, because obviously Gina's a lot younger and a lot smaller. And when Castro would uh, rape Gina, Michelle would hold her hand so she could squeeze it when she was in pain, which is just so fucking sad, dude. That's like a terrible life to live, you know what I mean? It just sounds awful. It sounds horrible. So Amanda was reaching the end of her pregnancy in early December, and Michelle Knight was again pregnant for the fourth time. This dude needs to learn how to fucking pull out. Seriously, like, he's being reckless. Well, people like and making babies. They don't really care for raising them. That's a good point, I, I guess. Mean, your but... pull-out game is terrible. Well, that one time it slipped that up. That one time. That's all, all it takes is fucking one time, dude. Yeah, I know. I fucking know. <laughs> I fucking know. There's I'm a proof father in my now. Living room. <laughs> so... And then Castro started starving. He starved her for three weeks, dude. Three? Can you not imagine not eating for three weeks? Right. No, I, I can't imagine not eating for three hours most days. <laughs> okay. So, I feel guilty about it. I do, but I do overeat. I'm not going to lie. So Gina and Gina would sneak Michelle food and rub her stomach late at night and try to relieve some of the pain she was in. And then... And when Castro became impatient that Michelle had not miscarried yet, he punched her and kicked her in the stomach, forcing her to miscarry again. Um, so when Michelle went into labor on Christmas Day, Ariel Castro brought her and the girls into the basement to give birth to the baby. He bought a kid's plastic pool for Amanda to labor over so there wouldn't be much mess to clean up because, as we know, Ariel Castro is a very clean person. Well, um, and he's a medical professional. If you could add more... 
fucked up stuff to Michelle Knight's resume is during the delivery, Michelle Knight was forced to act as midwife and nurse to Amanda. So all this time she's been having all these miscarriages. Now she has to help give birth to Amanda's baby. The fucking worst, man. The fucking worst. And then not only that, Castro threatened to kill Michelle if the baby didn't survive. Yeah. So he doesn't take, he doesn't take her to a hospital, but he's forcing her to give birth with no pain relievers, no medical treatment, nothing. Like when Elsa was giving birth, dude, I can't tell you how many fucking hoses and wires were connected to her to monitor everything constantly. Like I couldn't imagine giving birth in a fucking ba- kids' pool in a basement. It had to be dirty as fuck, bro. I couldn't imagine it, it couldn't being be anything less. There's no, there's way. no way. If you've seen no. this frumpy looking motherfucker, there's no way he has a clean basement. He just looks greasy and dirty all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying I'm saying cesspool. It was a cesspool definitely. birth. Definitely, definitely. So after the baby was born, she stopped breathing. The baby did. And Michelle obviously was freaking the fuck out, and she gave the baby mouth-to-mouth and CPR and brought the baby back to life. Yeah, yeah, she was able able to save her. Save her, yes. And Ariel Castro named the baby girl Jocelyn. I don't know why he got to name her, but whatever. And then after the birth, Castro placed the placenta. Of course he's going to fucking name the kid. Right, but he couldn't give her that little bit, you know? You think he's going to turn around and just follow like, you know what? I'm gonna let you girls name her. Like, when has he ever given them a choice to do anything? It would definitely right wouldn't now. start with something permanent like a, a, a baby name. So after the birth, Castro placed the placenta in the fridge as a memento and took off Amanda's chain so that Jocelyn would grow up with some form of normalcy. What the fuck? And like, she's still locked in the house, you know? Right, but. It doesn't look as weird. It just looks like mom never wants to leave or whoever the fuck Amanda is to her, but it's... And then in his fucked up brain, somehow he started seeing Jocelyn and the girls as some sort of weird family for him. Well, yeah. That's how, like I said, it's... yeah. He sees it as like a whole family thing. It's just fucked up family. So this is where, okay, this is where it gets intense in a good way. So, on May 6th, 2013, we're fast-forwarding a little bit here uh, due to time constraints, but May 6th, 2013, Castro told Michelle and Gina that he was going to his mother's house for dinner. Now, a lot of times what Castro would do is he would say, like, okay, well, I'm going to the store, boom, 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 and, like, walk out of the house, and then when the girls would try to escape, he'd bust back into the house and just beat the fuck out of them. Right, right. And this is how he conditioned them to not try to escape. Did we not cover this in part one? I don't remember if we did. I think we did, but I just need just because I'm reiterating it because we're getting into the the good part here. So after he left, Jocelyn ran through the house saying daddy's gone to grandma's house over and over again. And then Jocelyn ran to a manager and told her that Castro had gone, had told her to come and stay with her. And at first, Amanda didn't leave the room. Because she was used to the, oh, the yeah, tricking. She'd be conditioned to keep her ass in there, or yeah, he was around the corner waiting for her ass because. The- now, this oh my god, dude, this part right here is so good. So, Amanda heard his car leaving the driveway, so she was like, "Oh shit, he actually is leaving." And then she discovered that her usually locked door was left open, and then made the decision to go downstairs. Now. 
out of some stroke of, I guess you could say genius or luck or whatever you want to call it, but Amanda wondered if, like her door, any of the other doors were left unlocked too. Now, this also shows that Castro had some form of complacency. Right. Because I guarantee when he first got these girls, he was checking every lock every single time he fucking well, I mean, moved. It's been it's been a decade, so by he's then, gotten complacent. The, yeah, he's gotten relaxed. You're doing the same routine day in day out. Eventually, man, you're gonna slip up. You're, you're gonna, gonna slip up day. exactly. Just like a normal serial killer, they always slip up at some point. Yeah, it was just, so, it, was just uh, it, it was it was awesome that. That they were able to capitalize on it instead of just sit on their asses out of fear until he just came home. No, who it's, knows it's that amazing what they did. Probably, I mean, who knows? You're right, who knows? We don't know if it could have happened. It could still be in that fucking basement. And we'd have no idea. No, not a clue. So, so she, okay, so she checked the, um, the other doors... And it turns out that hold on, let me figure out where the fuck is the part three script? Do I not do I not have it on here? Well Hold on, let me Fuck. I hope I have it. I should, I don't see why I wouldn't have it. This I think this is it right here. This one has a lot more information. We should have used this one. Shit. Well, basically, so he leaves the house. Kid comes down or comes upstairs or downstairs. Oh, here it is. I got it. I got it. And then Sorry. Lucas is just gonna have to edit all this shit. Didn't he bring the phone? Or didn't didn't the local bring the phone? No, 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 no. Here, I'm gonna get it. Okay, I'm gonna get to it. Alright, so she checks like her to she thinks that like maybe there's another door that's unlocked since hers was unlocked. And then she realizes the front door is locked. Now I mean unlocked. So he has a door and then he has like I guess it's like a metal door or like a screen door kind of thing. I think it's like a metal door, but she opens the door closest to the inside and then realizes that the outside door is still locked. So she can only get her arm through to the outside. So she starts banging on the door and yelling as loud as she can. And she can see the neighbors from across the street sitting on their porch. So she just keeps yelling and yelling. She's yelling, help me, I'm Amanda Barry, until they finally hear her and stand up and start to walk over. And then once they get over there, they're telling her to break the glass, but she couldn't break it. I guess he had I guess oh, obviously there's a glass part of the door. Now, if there is a hero in this story, Charles Ramsey is that hero. So, uh it's him that walks up and tells her to kick the bottom panel out of the door, and then once it starts to bend, Amanda squeezes through the hole and reaches back and pulls Jocelyn out. So she and Jocelyn are now out of the house for Was like it a door the, or out, a basement window. It wasn't a base. It was a door. It's like a you know how they have you know how screen doors are. It's kind of like that, but I think it was. But if it was a screen I, door, I don't think it would be a, a struggle to. Not a screen door, but I think it was like a glass, like it had glass. You know, I don't know what kind of door it was, but that's what happened. So now Amanda and Jocelyn are out in the front for the first time, together. Right. 
And then Sunlight. she and Jocelyn went to the neighbor's house to call 911, and we actually have a recording of that 911 call right here. Amanda Berry's 911 call. And it's weird because the operator seemed like kind of annoyed with her. I feel like when they heard I'm Amanda Berry, they'd be like, oh, fuck. This is that girl that's been on the news for fucking ever. You gotta think you know of I mean? someone who's a, a dispatcher. These fuckers hate their jobs. They talk to everyone. Like every day, constantly. And I don't know if you've walked into a, a jail or law enforcement, uh, like a, what they call them in Texas now, like a justice centers. They're like, I don't know, it's weird, but. Uh, yeah, dude, I was yeah, a cop you, in the army. I've been into a dispatch office. Well, that's the thing. You walk into them and they just, they kind of talk to everybody like they're fucking criminals. So yeah, pretty much. I guess you're, you're not right, there yeah. getting your fingerprint done. It's just, it's a shitty job. They hate their jobs. And they're, they think they're, they're better just, than they're everybody just else. they because of it. So, it's just one of those service jobs that, that, that you know, it just turns you into an asshole. So, I would imagine. Uh, the the endless stupid calls that they get that aren't emergencies. By the time they get a real one, they're just like, "Fuck this! I'm ready to go home." Right. They're I not can, thinking I about could, the safety of someone on the other end of the line. So, we also have a recording for uh, Charles Ramsey's 911 call, and Lucas put that in here uh, up to a minute and 57 seconds. And again, I'll send I'll email you the link with the episode. So Charles Ramsey is, I don't know, I think he's funny to the whole thing. Like, it's just, the way he talks is hilarious to me. Um, and he did a bunch of interviews afterwards, and they're all funny too. So you can uh, you can go look those up on YouTube. They're all over the place. Um, and he later did an interview with Anderson Cooper, and when Anderson asked him if there was any reward money that he had gotten, he told him no, but if there is a reward, give it to the girls and Jocelyn. He said, I have a job. I don't need the money. And he's pretty disgusted to know that he was – because Charles Ramsey was the neighbor. He's living next door to these people. Right, right. He had no um, idea. This whole time. He so he's pretty disgusted to think he was like living there. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Ramsey seemed like a nice fella, and the, the videos are pretty funny. Uh, they are actually super funny. His interviews are hilarious. Uh, so... The people who pulled up on the scene, Officer Esparta and his partner get there. They see a crowd on the porch, I'm guessing next door where Amanda had called the police. Um, Amanda is waving her arms, trying to flag the police down, and then Esparta looks at his partner and says, Is it her? In which he says, I can't tell. Riveting, I know. Um, <laughs> it's been years, before man. They, <laughs> before they could stop, Amanda's literally running to the car with Jocelyn, and this is when they recognize that it is Amanda Barry for the first time. And Amanda told them that Ariel Castro has had her imprisoned there for 10 years. And then the officers asked if there's anyone else inside. She told them Gina De Jesus and Michelle Knight were in the house still. And they were probably like, who the fuck's Michelle Knight? Because she has had no, right, no coverage whatsoever. Right. No search party, and nothing, man. Nothing. No vigils for her, nothing. They're all for Gina and Amanda. Nothing. Not a fucking thing. But uh, one of the officers crawled through the hole and kicked out the rest of the door. Um, when at, when Castro had left earlier, Michelle and Gina turned the radio on to find some music to dance to, to get some sort of fucking relief from the hell they're living in. Um, so they weren't – I guess they had it loud enough to where they didn't hear anything. They didn't hear Amanda breaking the fucking door down or anything. And they didn't know anything was going on until the police were entering the home. So they hid in the room. That's how soundproof this fucking house is, though. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like, she's literally tearing down the door, and they had no idea what was going on. So they just assumed someone was breaking into the house, so they hid. And then the officers split up, two going into the basement and two going upstairs. When they got to the top of the steps, there was a big, heavy brown curtain blocking the whole doorway, which... Like I said a second ago, I would used to be a cop in the army, and going into any place where there's this kind of situ, this kind of setting, it, it makes you very nervous because you don't know what the fuck's on the other side of this big ass curtain. Right. So they started announcing, they're like, "We're the Cleveland, we're the Cleveland police, the, we're the Cleveland police," and then inside the bedroom, Gina and Michelle were hiding behind a dresser because anybody can fucking say they're the cops. I could break into a house and be like, "Oh, I'm the cops," you know, and. Hopefully that that would work. Yeah, but so, I think nine times out of ten you're gonna say okay. Yeah, sure. most a normal person is gonna be like, oh shit, the cops are here. Yeah. Why are they here? So yeah, why are Michelle they here? Is the second. Yeah, <laughs> that's my first question. Why are the cops oh, kicking the my cops. door down? Wait, what the fuck are they doing here? <laughs> exactly. Um, so she told her, like I said, a second ago, she told Gina to stay put because anybody could say they're the cops. And then they heard the police walkie-talkie, which I guess police are the only people that can own walkie-talkies now. You can say radio. Um, you don't have to say walkie-talkie. Well, I like saying walkie-talkie, <laughs> all right? Right on, dude. And that's what the book said, and that's what I typed, okay? You can say radio. I can say walkie-talkie all I want. No, no walkie-talkie's cool. Yeah, all right. Well, okay. The walkie-talkies. Yeah, she heard the walkie Now I feel weird about it. They heard the police radios. <laughs> and Michelle started making her way to the door. Uh, she poked her head out, and all she could and all she could see was one of the police officers' arms. So she went back into the room. Then the police came into the room, and they saw them. And Michelle ran out from behind the dresser and jumped into the officer's arm. This is the first time this girl is seeing someone else besides Ariel Castro's frumpy, dumb fucking face for ten fucking years. Like any face would have been better than his to see. Not anyone but frumpy, dumb. So, yeah, frumpy dump. Um, 
So while the police searched the home, Gina and Michelle were in the back of an ambulance waiting, and they told Castro they told the police that Castro was probably nearby and would be driving a blue Mazda Miata. Fucking sick car, dude. Um, well, yeah, I mean it's definitely chick car in my opinion. But... Yeah, I would not want a Miata. And again, I drive a Jetta. So... That is true. That's definitely it's a um, I think a girl car. It's a diesel. Oh, and it's a six so speed a, man. I get that main advantage. So it's a big dick man car. That's what you're saying. Average? Did I say average? average? Can I ask average, for maybe, average? Maybe a little below. I don't know. It's I'll good. You know whatever. what? It's good enough. <laughs> I get 50 miles a gallon on the highway. So. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So his car ends up getting spotted by two officers north on West 33rd Street, and they followed it until they pulled into a McDonald's parking lot. Eric Castro fucking love McDonald's. Um, O'Neill Castro was on the car as well, and they were both arrested. Okay, I'm not gonna go. No, I'm not gonna go through all that shit about his brother and everything else. No, that's not important. Just get. I mean, basically, he went on trial. Yeah, he was found guilty. You know, obviously, they have the girls to testify against him. Which I'm sure. So he goes to trial. Yeah, I mean, I can't. Oh my god! I guarantee. Girl looking at her uh, assailant. Assailant. uh, And and having to rehash this whole. Decade of a fucking nightmare. But I am going to go through this. So at, back at 2207 Seymour Ave, um, the police report kind of paints a picture of what the house looks like. Um, so there were yards of rusty chains, ropes, and bondage material. There there were places where he had installed restraint devices. I'm guessing were like uh, hooks for like chains and you know things like that. Uh, there was a string of alarm clocks all through the living room to make some weird like – MacGyver house alarm, I guess. Um, just some weird shit you've seen in a fucking movie. Just some shit you wouldn't want to see going into a home. The alarm clocks are uh, just that one random item that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Right. Which makes so it in the, even creepier. In the white room where Amanda was kept, the room was 11 and a half feet by 11 and a half feet. It also had modifications done to it, restraint devices to keep Amanda inside. It was crudely decorated with drawn pictures, a blackboard where Amanda taught Jocelyn how to read and write, and all the windows were boarded up with heavy closet doors, and a small hole was cut in the bottom to allow ventilation. So I think it's I think it's cool that she was teaching her how to read and stuff like that in the home. I think that's pretty pretty good for the daughter at least, giving her some tor- some type of normal life. Right. Um, the pink room where Michelle and Gina were kept was significantly smaller than Amanda's. It was seven feet, two inches by 11 and a half feet. There were chains and locks on the floor next to a dirty stained mattress was, and the windows were boarded up with closet doors as well. The basement had a white support frame or pole running from the ceiling to the floor, which all the girls had been chained to at one point. And under the washing machine, washing machine, he was right. There was $11,000 in small bills, which sometimes he would throw at the girls after raping them to pay them for their services, which is not what you should do with your money. Don't spend your money on that. This makes him an even bigger asshole because he was willing to have to go back and restack all of those ones that he just hucked at those girls. Yeah, it's awful. Um... 
So he during his interview, he told more lies along with his confession letter. He did admit that he kidnapped these girls to satisfy sexual needs. It's pretty fucking obvious. Right. Uh, he claimed he considered Gina's abduction especially cold-blooded because of her age. He admitted to using Amanda's phone to call her mom. He claimed Michelle and him had consensual sex, and he only knew of one pregnancy of Michelle's, which obviously is a fucking lie. Um, he said he had her do knee bends, jumping jacks, and had her on a tea diet in order for her to miscarry. He also told the officer interviewing him that he was considering suicide because the judge was going to, quote, throw the book at me. And he was absolutely right. He was indicted on two counts of aggravated murder on the unlawful pregnancy terminations, 139 counts of rape, 177 counts of kidnapping, two counts of gross sexual imposition, three counts of felon, felonious assault, and a single count of possession cr possessing criminal tools. Um, I'm not going to go through everything. He pled guilty to the charges of kidnapping, rape, aggravated murder, and got a fucking plea bargain. Um but it did call for consecutive sentences of life in prison plus a thousand years, both without parole. So not only did he get life, but he got an additional thousand of years. Should have put him under the fucking prison. So under the plea deal, he gave up the right to appeal and couldn't profit in any way from his crime. So no books, none of that shit. And the house at 2207 would be demolished, which is good. Yeah, it doesn't exist. So after the sentencing hearing on April 1st, 2013, Castro was sentenced to life in prison plus 1,000 years. He was also fined $100,000. The court forfeited all of his property and assets to the Cuyahoga County government, which I'm guessing is the county that you fucking live in. Um, and yeah, fucking dickhead killed himself later on. October 10th, 2013, the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction released a report that Castro – that suggested Castro may have died accidentally from autoerotic asphyxiation rather than suicide. What the fuck but it was determined that it all was suicide rather than a weird sexual thing. If you are into autoerotic asphyxiation, um, don't do that because it's bad. You, I mean, you know, get somebody like, else to choke you. You know, well, if you're going like, to get somebody else to choke you. Just get a fucking spotter so you don't... Yeah, just get somebody there to make sure you don't fucking die like in that Robin Williams movie. Yeah, this doesn't have to be your last time, you know? Just, you know, get yourself choked as much as you want, you know, just finish and then... Get you a buddy. Yeah, just have somebody there, man. Someone just... I don't want to help you, but if you have no one else, I would rather you not die and you can just hit me up on Twitter. Yeah, no. If we live near each just other. save a life. I'll just... I'll watch you win. I'll watch you jerk off to save your life. Yeah. yeah. If that saves your life, man, I will yeah. I will watch you jerk off. Yeah. Maybe just put maybe just like turn my back and like look back every little bit and see if you're done yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't have to like eye you. Like, you know, we don't have to like lock eyes. I just, just Yeah. Same room? Or I mean or thin walls. Definitely so same room. I wanna know that you're like breathing still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you hanging yourself or are you just choking yourself? Because if you're hanging yourself, yeah, I should probably be in the same room. No, yeah, you should definitely be in the same room because it's like they put like a belt around them to their neck and like lean forward or something and like uh, oh, I don't know how it works, but I, I know you people sound die like an from expert. it. No, I just I know that movie know. World's Greatest Dad that you told me about. He did. He did that. Oh yeah, that Remember? was a good movie, dude. It's so ironic that he died from suicide later on. But I don't want to get into that because it's going to fuck my whole night up. Well, if you haven't seen it, okay, and you're thinking... It's oh, on Netflix. It it's a like great a really movie. good family Robin Williams movie to, to watch. It's not. It's not. It's a great movie. It's just... But I will, I will say this. Fuck. By about the time the kid dies, you're like, holy fuck, I'm glad that kid died. Spoiler alert. What the fuck, bro? <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Lucas, cut that part out. 
<laughs> I fucking forgot. Or don't. or don't. I don't really care. I'd rather you cut it out though. But or by the time don't. the bad thing happens, you're like, okay, I'm 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 glad that happened because yeah, that person sucks. It's a great film. Check it out, man. Go watch it. It is a good movie. Yeah. But that wraps it up for this fucking dickhead Ariel Castro. Um, I'm pretty glad it's over. We got some good stuff coming up. We got some stuff in the works that uh, we were discussing off air earlier that we got coming at you guys. And I'm hoping that it – I'm hoping it goes well. I got some more ideas. But if this next one goes well, we'll try the other ones too. Um. Yeah. So that's it. We're done with this fucking guy, and I'm yeah glad it's over. Definitely check out those Charles Ramsey videos because they are super funny. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at How the Dogs Chill. You can call. You can follow. You can't call me. You can follow. Uh, you put your number up there, dude. Just don't do that. Call and give you ideas. Yeah, right. All the people that listen to this are probably already have my fucking phone number. They're all people we know. We have no external fans. And they still don't use it. And they still don't call me. Why doesn't anybody call me ever? Just text me. Don't call me, though, because I'm busy. Um, so you can follow the tw- That's why they're no, that's yeah. why no one's calling. But they should make time for me because I do a cool podcast for them. This is for them every week. Yeah. I don't do this for fun. Okay, this is a job You're to like me. You're a shitty friend now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love doing this. But stop interrupting me. So you can follow the podcast Twitter at MJC Podcast. And Johnny, do you want to plug your Instagram or no? Sometimes you do. I don't even know what you it is. You did last episode. Yeah, well then, yeah, go back to the last episode. Go find it. Yeah, you can find it that way because I don't remember it yeah, either. Yeah, go listen to part two and it's in there somewhere. And if it's not, you should probably should have already listened to part two. Corey, actually, let him know. And we'll, we'll, we'll change that. Yeah, don't call me, though. All right, well, that wraps it up for Ariel Castro, and we will catch you guys maybe next week. Probably soon. Definitely soon. Sooner. Sooner than Sooner. later. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. On the flippity flip. Yeah, yeah. See you. All right. See ya.